Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Zerltow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Boston is Rada Inguva. Rada is Director of Compliance for the CM Group. And today we're going to be talking about speaker programs in healthcare. First, Rada, thank you for taking time away from your day to talk to us. Thank you, Adam. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. Um, speaker programs are getting a lot of attention lately. It, it would be good, I think, though, if we could start with a definition of what a speaker program is, what counts as one. Sure. So in the life science industry, drug and device companies have many marketing strategies really at their arsenal. Um, most of us have seen drug ads at some point in time through TV commercials or brochures. Um, but really of the handful of marketing strategies that they use, speaker programs remains kind of one of the most controversial. And really what speaker programs refer to are events sponsored by drug and device companies, uh, where the companies end up recruiting doctors and HCPs, train them and basically give them the tools to deliver information about their products in exchange for a small fee. Um, it's what the industry really calls as honoraria. Um, the settings of these presentations usually is at a restaurant. Um, the drug companies provide attendees with the modest meal. Um, that way the attendees can listen in on the company's product, um, take in the information and use that to kind of prescribe thereafter. Um, the attendees themselves actually are also doctors or HCPs of some sort, but Typically, the focus and specialization that they bring is, you know, being in that industry or in that disease state where they have the scientific knowledge um, so that they understand what the drug does and also how it'll best help their patients. Um, of course, though, these interactions with the HCPs um, are regulated by several governing bodies. Um, these can include anything from, you know, CMS, FDA, the DOJ, but also we have two key um, industry gatekeepers, what I refer to as pharma and AdvaMed code. Um, pharma really impacts pharmaceutical manufacturers and then AdvaMed, um, they really impact the device manufacturers. So, so yeah, those are the two, you know, really big ethics gatekeepers of the industry. And despite having those ethics keepers, speaker programs in healthcare are notoriously problem prone. Um, first, what are some of the common pitfalls, both for pharma and medical device firms, and from a compliance perspective at medical providers? Great question. The common compliance pitfalls for med device and pharma tend to always come back to two things. The companies try to circumvent either the OIG special fraud alert or the anti-kickback statute. And alcohol consumption was a major pitfall at these events. Um, another one was hosting these programs at non-educational venues, um, like when Novartis held a speaker program at Hooters, for example. <laughs> but now a common pitfall is high-end restaurants in general, as well as lavish meals. Um, from a medical provider perspective, however, the pitfalls tend to really impact receiving excessive honoraria or excessive prescribing patterns for a certain drug. 
Now, when we were preparing for this call, you shared with me a new trend, which is the optics test. Can you describe to our listeners what it is? Absolutely. The optics test is used by drug and device manufacturers to mitigate risk in their speaker programs. You know, this test really is more of a gut test, if anything. It sees if the program looks right. You know, does it sound right? Does it feel right? And the test really weighs several competing factors. The first being venue selection, you know, what type of program, I'm sorry, what type of restaurant is the program being held at? Uh, Number two, really, what is the educational value associated with this program? Number three would be modest meals, um, the amount spent on a meal, and really ensuring that it falls within the purview of the ethical meal cap provided by the drug companies. Repeat attendee data is another one. You know, how often are doctors attending these programs and looking at that direct correlation of the educational value for attending multiple events for the same drug. Um, The last one would be honoraria, you know, to see how often a prescriber is being paid, but also the amount and magnitude that payment is. Um, but I, just as a side note, you know, CMS Open Payments, they publish uh, a large data set every year with how often and how much drug companies and drug and device manufacturers are paying the physicians. It can be anything from looking at their fees for researching, their fees for, you know, meals, as well as fees for doing consulting gigs for them. And all of that gets back to how would it look if it was reported in the New York Times on the front page. Now, if a potential engagement fails the optics test, and there does seem to be ample room for that to happen, what does it typically fail over? What are the most common pain points? Good question. Um, Right now, it appears that the tipping point is on venue selection and modest meals. In the last few months, actually, I know several of our clients issued directives to our Boston-based team uh, with a short list of venues that were deemed appropriate. And the methodology on disqualifying a venue is relatively straightforward with many clients really turning to Yelp and Google to help in their decision-making of blacklisting certain restaurants. But, you know, this is not something that just came out of the blue. The case law, you know, has really indicated patterns dating back to 2016. You know, in 2016, SATS Pharmaceuticals, you know, they kind of got in trouble with a civil uh, fraud lawsuit with the FBI, um, and they held speaker programs at high-end restaurants, and that included serving alcohol. Um, Again, in 2020, Novartis Pharmaceuticals, they got into a civil settlement because their speaker programs were being held at venues with a strict focus on entertainment, such as sporting events and wine tastings. Um, it, it finally came out that many of these events for Novartis, you know, offered little to no educational content. Um, just in 2022, you know, we saw Biogen get in trouble again and their lawsuit kind of accused the company of directing millions of dollars in kickbacks for their sham consulting deals, but also for their lavish dinners associated with their speaker programs. Again, in 2022, just last year, 
we saw the Biotronic settlement for about 13 million. And in that case, we saw that Biotronic paid physician holiday parties at winery tours. And then again, the lavish meals got them in trouble because the discovery indicated that there was no legitimate business purpose. Um, so as you can see, you know, once a program has all of these elements of not passing, you know, muster or not looking ethical on its face, that's when a lot of these civil lawsuits start to occur and start to have patterns. But, you know, some of our clients are being very proactive with this case law and they're providing blacklists of the restaurants and venues that we are no longer allowed to use. Now, once a program passes the test, what controls should be in place to ensure that it doesn't start straying into dangerous areas that have the potential for non-compliance? I mean, even a modestly priced restaurant will have a few items you know, that are well above average. Yeah, and this is such a great question. Um, you know, I'll be honest, this is one that, you know, me and my compliance team ask ourselves all the time, right? Like, what does good look like? You know, some success that we found really is to find a speaker program that was carried out well and ethically, look at those key performance indicators and use that as a model to continue to train our staff on how to carry out these programs in the most compliant way possible. Um, so the other thing that we really did to be a, a toolbox for our staff is that we launched a compliance dashboard. Um, this type of dashboard allows us to have a hotline type service with everybody on our team, whether it's night or day, no matter the time difference, we, the compliance experts are always available for our pharma company and drug device uh, clients with regards to any questions that they may have on site. So finally, how often should existing efforts be reassessed to make sure that they still pass the test? I would say after every program. Um, from a policy perspective, it would suffice to review them annually as well. Um, and that is just with the pharma and avamed codes because they have regulatory updates that kind of shape our landscape and those get updated every year uh, for the most part. <laughs> so, you know, if we're doing an assessment, I would definitely recommend to stay on top of the regulatory and compliance landscapes with regards to what's happening at a more policy level. But, you know, at the end of every program and after every speaker um, event that takes place, I would recommend doing the closeout process one at a time to ensure compliance. Well, Rada, thank you for all of those insights into this often very troublesome area. Uh, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Chirtletaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <music>